0: Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream, and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. On Spectrum, we cover a wide range of topics that are important to our daily lives. We feature journalists, authors, scholars, policy makers, activists, scientists, innovators, and some people who just have fascinating stories. Today, we're talking with author, podcaster, executive coach, and career counselor, Beverly Jones. Bev is the host of the popular podcast, Jazzed About Work. Today, we talk about her new book, Find Your Happy at Work, 50 Ways to Get Unstuck, Move Past Boredom, and Deliver Fulfillment. As always, she is brimming with great career advice, especially during the COVID era. Bev, your new book is out, Find Your Happy at Work. The whole title, 50 Ways to Get Unstuck, Move Past Boredom, and Discover Fulfillment. Uh, first of all, why did you write this book?
1: My initial thinking when I, I wrote the book, when I started to write the book, was some time ago before COVID. And What motivated me is, as a coach, I have been talking for years to wonderful people professionals and leaders of all kinds and all ages and all different kinds of fields. And what I have found is that my clients very often are passionate about the work, they care about their people, and yet they're not very happy in their jobs. It's partly uh, because of things that are inside their own heads sometimes, and it's partly because they're going about it in a way that doesn't give them any breaks. But again and again and again, I asked myself the question, why is this terrific person who's working well and hard and taking care of others, why is this person not happier? And that was the puzzle I presented to myself and started kind of reading and researching and trying to... um, get a better sense of how I could help my clients.
0: How did COVID play into all of this?
1: Since I started, uh, of course, you have to start with a proposal. It's pretty um, complete with a table of contents and all of those kind of things. I did that before COVID. And I started writing the month before COVID began. And so my early COVID Project Back in those really scary, awful days when we didn't know what was happening, was to write about managing your own happiness and being happy at work. And I must say, that's not a bad assignment to uh, have in the middle of a pandemic because it <laughs> right. helped me kind of measure myself and figure things out. And so um, it was an amazing lens to kind of look at the same question I've been asking, what are the essentials? How do you manage yourself so work is still rewarding in a difficult environment? How do you um, focus on what you can control and um, let go of a lot of the things you can't control? It it was, for me, a really important experience, but I also think it made a, a, a deeper and um, more meaningful book because I wrote it while I was working with clients and myself was working with dealing with all the things that were going on.
0: You've got 50 uh, ways in here, and there are 50 uh, short chapters uh, talking about each way. Why did you choose that format?
1: Well, I had written an earlier book that um, had 50 chapters. And I, um, I, on that book, I, it was more of a compilation of of different themes. But I found that people really liked the 50 chapters because a lot of busy people who are interested in reading about work and leadership and so forth don't have time to go through a big book. So I I found it to be popular. Um, This book is much more cohesive. I tried to structure it carefully so that it uh, feels like a coaching experience for somebody who does decide to read it straight through. But I wanted that same um, ability of people to pick up a chapter, maybe look ahead and say, this is what's bothering me today. Is there anything in here? wanted people to read it both ways, to, to, to have a, a manageable bite, to really get at something that was bothering them today, but also have it have flow and kind of a repetition of some of the seems to, to lead people along a coaching process.
0: You, you've you had a lot of publicity on this. You've been on a number of podcasts. You've been interviewed by, by top people about this book. Why do you think this book has caught on perhaps even more than your first one?
1: I think the question of how can I be happier at work is – a national question. Maybe it's international, but I've been looking at what's been happening in the United States. And we're hearing about the great resignation, people changing jobs. There are a lot of factors in that, including the ability of people to work remotely in some cases, including the fact that some jobs are disappearing. But Despite all of the things that are going on, I think that one thing that COVID did was give people an awareness that life doesn't last forever, and we want to get as much out of life as we can. And and the thing that you and I grew up with, as I, at least I remember being told, you know, you work really hard, and then one day you can be happy. Right. Th- that's gone. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Now we want to um, get happiness from anything that we're going to throw ourselves into. And, and so it's, um, it is what people are looking for. And um, I'm um, really enjoying the dialogues that I'm having with people talking about the book. People are really talking about their lives and uh, what their lives might be.
0: Well, you and I have known each other for decades, and uh, you, you've you helped me out uh, along the way, and you and I, you've been gracious to invite me to host your podcast as we, we talked uh, about the book, and, and you've been helping me out all along. But I've, I've got some questions that maybe an outsider would be asking you, so, so indulge me here. You know... The whole concept of work seems to have changed from the COVID period, Uh, and I'm not sure that we can define what lasting changes that's going to have, but I think I I might be out on a limb, but I'm predicting that it's going to be changed forever, if not a very long time. How does that impact some of the things you've been talking about? Much of what you talked about was in the workplace, but now that the workplace is different, do they still apply?
1: We don't have enough words to describe the concept of work because that that's a term that means a lot of different things to people. Uh, one of them is, you know, a job that will bring you money so that you can live the life you want. Uh, another one is, um, what is work? What's the difference between work and play? How can I enjoy the stuff that I have to do on my job? Uh, you know, what um, is enjoyable about work for some people, uh, but not for others. All of those kind of questions are all muddled up in it. But I think part of what you are asking about is the concept of a job and career have changed. And it, it, it really was once, uh, more, um, something that you did in order to get a paycheck and maybe it was nine to five or whatever hours, uh, um, the the times demanded, but you went into it with the idea that you were just going to tough it out and then you're going to create a life elsewhere. That is not the case anymore. People want their job to support their life. They want the life to be um, the thing that they're managing and the job is just one piece of it. So I think that is huge. And part of um, what I've been playing with in my head is What's the difference between work and play? How can we tell if we're working? Um, so that's another thing that I think a lot of people have started to notice about themselves is um, sometimes things are really fun and, and maybe they can find a way to get paid for that. So it's it, I think a lot of themes are, are muddled up, but it gets down to people not wanting to spend time doing things they hate, even if they are being paid for it, and wanting to have a higher quality of life, whether they're working at that moment or not.
0: One of the promotion paragraphs uh, about your book uh, says, Has your career plateaued? Do you sometimes dread starting work? Are you bogged down by frustration, tedium, loneliness, or uncertainty? There's hope. I, I think that's a powerful paragraph because I would venture to say 90% or more people are frustrated, have tedium, are lonely, uncertain, and their careers plateaued. So, so are, are you writing for the masses here?
1: Well, I think so. I mean, it's very difficult to generalize that much. But What I have discovered in my own life is that there are down times or relatively down times in any job, on any career path, in any life path. There are things that that you don't want to do, or maybe you used to love them and you're tired of them. But I, I think an essential theme in my book is that even when you're feeling stuck, you have more control over the way you engage with life than you recognize. And uh, the mindset you take to work when you're stuck can make things worse, or it can change everything and make it better and open you to new opportunities. So recognizing that part of what makes us happy in work and play is having some control, having the ability to learn things, having the ability to try things new and If we take the mindset that that's how we want to approach our job, even in something that's kind of rigid, where you're having to follow um, a pretty careful protocol, like in an emergency room or a a kitchen, um, you still can choose the attitude, the uh, curiosity level, uh, the way you interact with other people. There are a lot of things you can choose in how you approach work, even in a fairly confined environment.
0: Many of the topics uh, in the 50 ways to find your happy at work uh, talk about self help and health and wellness. Uh, obviously, you find that to be I- I important in one's outlook at anything, but especially at work.
1: Absolutely. And that, again, is something that I have really noticed with my clients, that I um, have worked with people who are, as I said, passionate about their work, really wanting to do a good job, and ignoring their own well-being so that um, I can see them becoming exhausted. Um, they, um, they start to have a... a of a negative view of life they're not as creative if if you're not in good physical shape if you're not getting sleep if you're not taking care of yourself you cannot be your most productive creative self and once you kind of get into that downward spiral where you're not taking care of yourself you're not taking care of your well-being in all of its spheres uh things keep getting worse and worse and worse. And sometimes the only way to get back on track at work, the, the, the uh, critical starting point, is to, to look at how you're taking care of your physical, emotional uh, health, how you're taking care of your brain, how you're taking care of relationships. All of those things require some conscious support sometimes. And if you focus on yourself, then you can generate kind of a new era in your career.
0: Let me dig just a little deeper on that because you have a a couple of chapters on mindfulness. Now, I think most people, when they hear the term mindfulness, they think of something spiritual, uh, yoga, transcendental meditation, some kind of meditation. Uh, It's that, but, but you're saying it's more than that. Can you help us define that?
1: Yeah, the, the way I finally um, understood mindfulness uh, when I was struggling with it a bit years ago was understanding what it is to be mindless, the opposite of mindfulness, and we've all done that. You are not mindful if you are um, driving to work on a, along a very familiar path and all of a sudden you realize you can't remember what happened in the last 10 Minutes and and you've gone past your exit and uh, you you just wonder oh my gosh how can I be driving when I don't know at all what happened that's mindless and we all tend to um, fall into kind of a mindless state if we're not managing our attention and we're doing something that's repetitive uh, it is um, not a productive. Uh, and it's not a fun way to um, to engage with work. On the other hand, when you're doing something that's really flowing, whether it's a game of tennis or you're uh, doing a podcast interview that's really exciting, y- your mind is focused on it. You're putting your resources in one place, and that is fun, even if you're doing it in the context of a job. So that that um, mindfulness can be you're really, present and focused on what's going on right now and the things we think about mindfulness is often in the context say of meditation Um, and meditation is a practice that can help you manage your attention so that you can become mindful more easily but um, mindfulness is something that you can you can just practice anytime by saying I'm going to put my attention here. My attention is something I can manage and how I deploy it is going to have a big impact on how I experience life.
0: We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders who will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provide benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. One of the chapters that fascinated me, I have to admit, and, and I want you to share some of it with uh, our audience. And that is item 13, chapter 13, learn from Ben Franklin, America's first self-help guru.
1: <laughs> yes
0: tell our audience what that's about
1: well he is uh, of course one of the most fascinating characters in american history but what was so, full of contradictions um, oh my gosh he, he he was a very flawed person and he wrote about it but i think i read um about him um and read part of read his sort of autobiography kind of a a book he he wrote uh, when he was still in his 20s, but he wanted to teach other people how to live. Um, Some of his (laughs) writing um, was aimed at describing his self-management. And I I got the idea that how we approach life and who we are is something that we can manage. So what happened with um, Ben Franklin is as a young person, uh, he was still a kid, um, he uh decided that he was going to be successful and he had three years of schooling. He was kind of estranged from his parents, he was um thrown into uh working with his brother and that didn't work out. So I think he was thirteen when he went to Philadelphia and decided he was going to create a career. And he um methodically learned from reading and writing and then he decided he was going to um, Changed his character by creating a chart um, in which he'd have kind of 13 qualities like um, charity and honesty and things like that. And he would um, keep a chart of those 13 characteristics, and every day he would give him sort of a grade. He'd give him either a black mark or not, depending on how he lived those. And for Almost a year, he tried to chart what kind of person was he that day. So he wrote about all of these things, and he was the um, the kind of the first American self help guru. His 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 writings were collected into a book after he died, and published uh, quite a bit after he died. And it was like the first how to bestseller in in the United States teaching people how to manage themselves to be the kind of person that you want to be. And he changed greatly over the years. He, he became a much wiser um, kind of person as he, as he grew over long years of experimentation.
0: Bev, uh, I know from personal experience, <clears throat> as I said, you and I have been friends for decades. Um, friendships are very important to you relationships are very important to you. I I would say they're foundational to your life. But you write about those as being monumentally important in the workplace to foster happiness.
1: Yes, they're a critical part of any situation. But if you look at human beings, we are... Uh, evolved to be social animals. If, if you go back to long before Benjamin Franklin, to ancient times when we had ancestors who were hunter-gatherers, they were able to um, grow and, and create civilizations eventually because they learned to work together. In ancient days, if a hunter-gatherer was um, lost from the tribe, that person would die. So those genes didn't get passed down, but the people who could work together learned to thrive. And part of how you learn to work together was to evolve emotions and empathy and all the characteristics that are critical for building relationships. And we are born to need those relationships. We're born to thrive if we have them. So the kind of recent science suggests that to do things well of many kinds of work, it's helpful to be doing it in a collaborative environment. Even if uh, we are more introverted and people vary greatly and from introversion to extroversion and some of us bounce back and forth, I, I, I think everybody needs to have some relationships that help them um, see themselves grow have fun experience love it's it's just part of what makes you a fully functioning human being and on the job if you have the support of, of colleagues uh, whether um, it's in person or virtually like you and I are today um, it is it, it can be a, a critical support for your your growth as a worker.
0: You know, as you've been talking, I I was thinking if I had to characterize myself, I would probably call myself an introverted extrovert uh, in the sense that I've lived my life publicly, but uh, my private life is very, very meaningful to me and very private to me. And those few relationships that I have that are very close to me are very meaningful uh, to me. So, you may not just be one or the other, correct?
1: Correct. I think that uh, there also is a difference between your preference, um, and, and that can change from moment to moment. For me, sometimes I want to be with people, sometimes I don't, but there's a difference between your preference and your skill set. Some people who have been um, described as um, introverts inherently um, like Hillary Clinton, have incredibly successful skills um, of extroversion. They they know how to right. they learn how to engage with people. So it, it's it's a complicated um, um, concept. But regardless of where you are on the spectrum, recognizing the kind of relationships that are valuable to you and being conscious and taking care of them is is a lot of what I write about
0: two more things that that I wanted to bring out that you pay particular attention to I believe and that is kindness and gratitude and the the how they work well in the workplace
1: yes um, and and they work well in um, two different ways um, One is that if you, Approach other people with a spirit of kindness and gratitude; they'll respond to it. People tend to find those um, those emotions, those states of mind, to be um, contagious. And if that's how you approach your colleagues every day, you're going to enjoy much more positive relationships than people have another attitude. But there's all kinds of fairly recent research in the field of psychology about. Um, having uh, a mindset of gratitude or kindness. And it it seems that we are more positive and less anxious, less worried if we feel either of those, Uh, a sense of gratitude or we're engaged in trying to be kind. It's like the part of our brain that registers anxiety kind of calms down. And so just managing yourself, one of the things... Um, that you can do if you're stressed, if you're if you're if you're struggling, if you can summon up a sense of gratitude, or you can get out of yourself and get out of your head by doing something kind. So it's a terrific way to manage yourself as you approach work.
0: You talk about and and I have to say that this has been something that I've found in my personal career is the value of mentoring and, uh, Sometimes when I would get down or feel I was stuck in a position, if I could mentor a young person and being involved in a university, those opportunities are available a a lot, but some mentorships are more meaningful than others. But again, that idea of mentorship getting out of myself seemed to really help.
1: Yes. Uh, Early on, when we were first hearing about mentors years ago, I think it was something I wanted. I wanted to have one. I wanted people to help me. I wanted guidance.
0: Well, you were um, a first. You plowed new of, ground. You didn't have many.
1: There were not many mentors for women in, in law and the places that I was in those right. days. But uh, I, you know, I saw the lack of it. But from the very beginning, I also love mentoring I didn't even notice I was doing it so much I just knew that it was so fun to be around younger people or people who were in a different situation than I was and what I have found is I think you have is that um, mentoring is so incredibly rewarding it's a way to learn things without having to go through it yourself it's a way to 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 share things you've learned the hard way and help somebody learn them more easily, that's very gratifying. And it is a a wonderful way to create reciprocal relationships. I think really good mentoring relationships start to flow both ways. And um, some of the people who are my dearest friends now, I was once a mentor for them, but now um, it's like... They're mentoring me more than the other way around, and it creates a. Um, there's a safety in a mentoring relationship in which you can offer advice or you can offer observations. Well, there's and a they trust can be relationship. Taken as well meant.
0: There's a trust relationship yeah. in a in a true mentorship uh, between mentor you put your and mentee. On it. Yeah.
1: Exactly.
0: One other point and that is you also talk about physical space and and I know your environment, whether it's at home or at your office when I used to visit you there, uh, your physical space has always been important to what you do, whether it's in your kitchen or whether it's in your garden or whether it's in your office format. Um, You're trying to translate that that's something that people should look at very carefully.
1: Yes, and I I think this is something that doesn't matter to everybody. Um, But when you are trying to um, create the best possible environment for your work, one of the things over which you have some control, even if you're sitting um, in a big office with lots of other people, you have some control on the physical space around you. If you're um, in a place where you don't, where every desk is the same, the way you arrange things, whether or not you put a photo on the desk. Those things uh, that make you happy, if they are there and it's you have the state of order or orderliness or the state of confusion that you're most comfortable with, those things make a difference. And we... Um, do respond to our environment. If we have, um, say, a window with nature outside, for many people, that can be really soothing. If we have art or maybe music in the background, some people that can be important. So being conscious that your physical space may have an impact on your performance and your happiness um, is it's just one of the things that you can manage to, to make uh, the day feel better.
0: I want to talk uh, just finally about the the structure of your book. And we talked about it being 50 uh, relatively short chapters, you know four or five pages per per tip. and people could either read it cover to cover or look through the table of contents and come up with something that might be meaningful to them at a particular time. Uh, each chapter has a key, Takeaway, and I, I'm interested why you did that and and what you what your intent was with that.
1: Well, again, I, I watched um, how some people used my first book. I hadn't thought of it so much as a workbook, but I I noticed that clients tended to kind of focus in on individual chapters. So I tried to make this one a little bit more of a workbook. Most chapters have key takeaways. Some of them have exercises so that you can Mm -hmm. try out something in the chapter. I think um, what I noticed is that it's one thing to read a book. It's another thing to engage in with it more fully. To kind of write notes about it. To um, maybe come away with one point that you want to put on a uh, on your desktop. And I try to kind of build in ways for people to engage with the book around the the concepts that they found most meaningful.
0: In our digital age, we have become so accustomed to lists of things, uh, the top 10, whatever. Uh, I, w- I was looking the other day for the best art pens and, you know, I had probably five lists of top 10 art pens from different sources that, that I looked through and I'm finding that, that that's easy for me to look at because I can look at it It blocks. It, it summarizes for me. I don't have to wade through a lot of narrative and a lot of verbiage to get what I want. And I notice in your chapter 50, and, and it's 10 takeaways for finding your happy at work. It, it sort of summarizes the book in list form. It's, it's almost digital in a print format. Mm-hmm. Talk about that.
1: That's right. And, of course, I've done a lot of um, uh, writing for websites and so forth, so I've become pretty comfortable with um, doing that. Uh, sort of the dot point way of summarizing things. But I find I really like it. And in my own journaling, I tend to write, um, all right, what are the top three things I learned today? Or what are the five things I want to do for my fitness level in the future? I, I find that I like to do that. So I um, I did the, the chapter 50, the 10 te- takeaways. I... Did them as I was writing the book, more as my own guide. You know, what are the things that I um, I really want to get across? What are the things that are the key themes? So I, so it's a list I did for myself, and uh, then I thought, you know what, this is my 50th chapter, 50th chapter. So um, it's, I guess, it's just how I help myself think and um, uh, stay in touch with things.
0: This is your second book, the first, uh, Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Uh, now, find your happy at work, 50 Ways to Get Unstuck, Move Past Boredom, and Discover Fulfillment. What's next?
1: Oh, you know, it's too soon to tell. I, I find I, um, I write partly for pleasure. So I'm already thinking about maybe another book, but uh, I also, I really love radio. I love the podcast. I love trying different things. So that's where I'm you know putting my energy. Uh, these days, at least for the next few months.
0: So if somebody's out there listening and they go, you know, is this just another self-help book or or what could I get out of this book that I can't get other places? What would you tell them?
1: I think that what this may offer is a format that gives pretty tightly written sound bites that you can kind of use today so that if you are um, you don't know where to begin I think my hope I think this is true you could pick up the book and open it to almost any chapter and get something you could use today to make today a little better
0: well Bev as always uh Thank you. I have the book in my hand, and uh, next time I see you, I, I want you to inscribe it for me, please. Uh, of I, course. I, I've read through this, and and truly, it, I, I, have, I have to admit, I have not sat down and read it cover to cover, but I've picked things just as you said. I've picked things out that were bothersome to me or meaningful to me. And really got something out of it. So uh, I I thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I've loved having a chance to visit with you about it today.
0: We'll talk soon. Thank you. Today, we've been talking to author, podcaster, and executive coach, Beverly Jones, about her new book, Find Your Happy at Work. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available to the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, or have suggested topics for us to cover in the future, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Again, that's hodson at ohio.edu. Have a good day, everybody.